Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Y'all feel like, y'all should be like full of energy, right? You got your carbo loading all week, you know, your pies, rolls and stuff, man. You should be like excited and ready to go and run, right? So here we are this morning. We're going to run a little bit when it comes to just walking through and finishing up this series on the church. What I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to do a little bit different. We're going to, I'm going to give you a lot of kind of statistics and quotes this morning. And the reason why I'm going to do this is because... You know, we live in a culture that oftentimes thinks that, you know, has a lot of doubts about God and has a lot of doubts about Scripture. Um, But oftentimes, you know, that when we kind of take a step back and we look at some of the statistics and the things that that, uh, we know just through through what uh, science says and uh, psychology and just some other kind of polls, um, usually when we kind of walk through some of these things, uh, it's good for us to kind of walk through them and realize that, hey, you know what, maybe God really kind of knows what he's doing. Maybe God really is, you know, for our health and for our growth and for our nourishment. And, and maybe this uneducated Middle Eastern guy who died around his mid-30s, who grew up in a podunk town from a blue-collar family, maybe he was on to something 2,000 years ago. And so my hope is that when we look at the church and we look at this gift that God has given us, the church, that we would see the value of it. Not just what, you know, God says, because God says it's valuable. Why? Because he created it and he, he started this movement 2,000 years ago. Um, but we also see just from people who do a lot of just different studies of how this thing called the church is actually really, really healthy for us. One of my favorite passages when it comes to the church, and we've been talking about this, this passage over the last you know, few weeks or so, comes from Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. I really kind of, when I think about this verse, this, these couple of verses here, it's really kind of my idea of what church should be like. Okay? It says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I love this because, you know, oftentimes when we think about church, we think about, you know, it's a place you go. It's something that you attend. It's a program. It's a message. Um, but when you look back at the first century, they thought of the church very differently. In fact, church really is more about a gathering of people who have been changed by the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, that gather together with Jesus Christ as the center and sustainer of those relationships to go and follow him together. And in this togetherness, we are to be the people who gather together to think of ways, think of ways of how we can motivate each other to acts of love and good deeds. Isn't that refreshing to think about what a church was made to be? It's a place where people motivate each other. It's a place where people encourage each other. It's a place where we motivate each other to not, you know, not to like stop being naughty, but we motivate each other to go and love the way that Christ has loved us. That we would motivate each other to go and do the good deeds that we were created in Christ Jesus by God to go and do. That we would be people that would encourage one another. And you see, even 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews understood the importance of meeting together, getting together, spending time together. Hey, let's, let's not neglect our getting together, 
are meeting together, as some people do. Let's encourage one another. Because 2,000 years ago, God understood how we are made. And he, when these words were written, they were written to convey this understanding of how God made us. We were made to do community together as a body of Christ so that we can encourage each other. You have heard me say that the word encourage means to give courage. That being around other people who motivate you gives you courage, is it not? To keep your mind focused on, on acts of love and good deeds that reflect the, you know, the good deeds and love that we've experienced from Christ himself. To be around each other, to encourage each other, to remind us of the promises that we have in Christ. The promises that we have eternal life. The promises that we are loved. That we have meaning and purpose that, is, that goes beyond, far, far beyond just our life here. It is eternal. To remind us of these things, because even 2,000 years ago, they were no different than any of us here. They would get distracted. They would find themselves slowly finding their, their you know, place of getting isolated, becoming more depressed, you know, angry, bitter, all of those things that can begin to happen as we kind of move away from God and move away from the community of God and into the things of this world and become consumed by those things. And 2,000 years ago, God understood when he created this thing that this would be a people that would come together that would find their encouragement to, to find their remembrance in Christ, to find support, to do this together. Like I said, church is more than just a place that we attend, a program that we go to, or a lecture that we hear. In fact, I was just kind of looking over a, a study that Harvard did recently, and it was, it was a study about how do students at Harvard, how do they learn better? Do they learn better in a lecture setting by world-class lecturers, because Harvard has those, or do they learn more through kind of having pods of working together over common problems on figuring those things out together in those kind of what they call active learning? What they found was really kind of interesting, that in our minds and students' minds, we tend to believe that if we were to sit in a lecture room with somebody, a world-class presenter, that uh, we would learn more about, you know, politics, psychology, physics, you name it, than we would in an active learning, you know, um, segment of learning together with other students. I don't know about you, but I remember back when I was in college, when we had to do, you know, projects with other people. I'm like going, gee whiz, come on. I hate doing projects with other people. Such a waste of time. Just give me the lecture. You know, let me just give me the book. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll learn it all and then I'll take a test. Well, studies show all over the map that active learning, you learn more than you do by hearing a lecture. Even a lecture by a world-class uh, lecturer. There gives us, they say that there gives us this feeling of being in the presence of somebody with such great knowledge that you feel like you have that knowledge as well. But we learn more through active learning. And guess what? This is the way that God made us. We've talked about it here, here at River Run that our, you know, one of our big culture statements is leveraging life to know God. 
that God calls us to do active living, active learning, that we get together in community around scripture and around Jesus Christ as our leader to have conversations about him and life and to encourage each other and strengthen each other and to remind each other and then let the message of Christ dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom that we would do that. And then guess what we would do? We would go put it into practice called life. And then we would come back and we would debrief and talk about life. And now, you know, this is what God did. And this is where I really failed. And we pray together and we encourage each other and we motivate one another. And, and that's how we learn the best. Harvard studies show it. Studies upon studies show it. It's the way that God created us to, to live it out. Not only that, not only do we learn best in community, we also find that we grow um, healthy when we are in community centered around God. You know, fairly recently, there was this study that was done by this epidemiologist from Harvard, a guy named Tyler Vanderweel. And this was a study that was done kind of over a 20-year period. So it was a, kind of a long study. Over, they, what they did was over every four years, they would interview 75,000 nurses just to kind of get an idea of mental health. You know, they deal with a lot of stress and they deal with a lot of things. And so what they wanted to do is just kind of see, you know, how do certain nurses go about life and what, what makes them more healthy, what makes them less healthy over a 20-year span. And one of the things that really shocked them is they saw this, this, this little piece in the data that, that really surprised them. And what the piece of the data was, was that nurses who went to church frequently were healthier than those who didn't. In fact, right here in the Journal of, of the American Medical Association, women who attended uh, church more than once a week had a 33% lower risk of dying compared to those who never went. 33% decrease. That's a lot. You know? And then we see this, 20, those who go to church every week, in the next slide here, women who attended church once a week had a 26% lower risk of dying compared to those who never went. Those who went to church more than once a week, you know, they had less risk of dying uh, than those who went once a week. Well, those who went fewer times than once a week, women who attended church less than weekly had a 13% lower risk of dying compared to those who never went. It's amazing. It's a study. Not only that, but you know where I found this article? I found this article, not in a Christian magazine or a Christian article. I found this in CNN. All right. And I clipped this thing and put it in there. And so you see here, just as, as, you know, people have done kind of studies, they find that people who go and attend and part of this kind of gathering, they're healthier, 33%. Now we all know that it's not just attending that makes us healthy. What's the difference? Why is it more frequency make a bigger difference in your lives? Because, again, more frequency, you're around people who love Jesus Christ. You're around people who want to grow in Christ. You're around people who, want, who, who motivate you and encourage you. You're around people to keep reminding you of the promises and the grace and the love of God, even in the midst of the difficulties and hard, hardships of life. Those who don't have that, they just don't have that. They die 33%. They're 33% more, more at risk of death than those who attend church regularly. Gallup, um, last year in February 2022, they did a poll. 
And one of the things they did with a poll was just kind of looking at people and, and, and their life and their healthiness of those who would go to church. And this is kind of what they found. They found that 67%, oh, let me go back to this real quick. This is a good quote by Tyler Vanderweel from Harvard. Our study suggests, the studies when they talk about church attendance, uh, our study suggests that for health, the benefits outweigh the potential negative effects. Basically what he was saying here was, you know what? Church ain't perfect, right? Why isn't church perfect? Because your senior pastor isn't perfect. Because the rest of us aren't perfect. It's not perfect. We ding each other. We, we mess things up. And, and, but even in our imperfection, when imperfect people come together to learn how to love each other the way that Christ loves each other, the gains are so much better than the side effects of doing life with, with imperfect people. So going back to Gallup here, Gallup in 2022 found that 67% of those who attend weekly are very satisfied with their personal life. 67% of people who go to church every single week, polled by Gallup said, man, you know what? I'm very satisfied with my life. And, you know, those who attended infrequently, 48%. Nearly a 20% increase in those who attended church um, you know, on a weekly basis. Again, why? You know, we're going to take communion a little bit later, like we do every single week. Do you remember what Jesus said? Do this in what? Remembrance. Why do you need to remember anything? Because you forget. If God knew that we would remember him, he wouldn't say, do this in remembrance of me. I don't need to tell you that because you always remember. Coming together reminds us of so many things about God that makes us reorient our understanding about life, meaning of life, purpose of life, joy of life, that gets us to a place where we are more satisfied than just trying to live out the way that the world wants us to live it out. In fact, in that same article here, you see this next here, weekly religious service attenders are, in fact, more likely to say they are very satisfied than are those who make $100,000 or more in annual household income. Again, you know, most of our lives and our culture is earn six figures. You earn six figures. If you have to skip church, if you have to not make it to your small group, earn six figures. Because if you earn six figures, you're going to be happier than if you actually did life together with other people in the church. Well, studies show and Gallup polls showed that those who gather together in a community of believers as a family are healthier, more satisfying than those who have make six figures. Let me tell you, you know, one thing about Satan, Satan will do anything to get us to move our hearts and affections away from God, to make us believe, just like students believe that when they were here just listening to a, 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 a world-class lecture, they're going to learn a lot more than being in a pod with other people to learn. We live in a culture where we believe that if I just made six figures, I would be happier. And so that means I need to sacrifice my time with other believers and not have them in my lives. Well, studies show that that's not, you know, the case is, is that when we attend, we grow satisfied. Why? Because we understand that the greatest thing that we all need within us, yeah, we need bread and we need food. We need these things. But really, as, as, um, 
you know, the, as I think it was um, Mother Teresa once said, you know, the greatest hunger, the, the, the hunger that is hard, the hardest to satiate is the hunger of the heart. But the heart is full. We are full. And so, um, Dr. Frank Newport, the senior research analyst at Gallup, said this in that same article. said, the very religious rate their lives more positively. They are less likely to have, uh, to have ever been diagnosed with depression and experience fewer daily negative emotions. The very religious also make much better health choices than, those who, than uh, do those who are not as or not at all religious. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't deal with depression. That doesn't mean none of us in here have negative emotions. What that means is, is when we are depressed, when we are having negative emotions, we're, here, we're around people that encourage us, Amen. that remind us, that are with us, and that are, you know, that um, are there to walk these things out with us, by which to remind us that we are loved by God and that we're growing and feeling the sense of strength in the way that we love each other. Dr. Harold Koenig, he's a professor of psychiatry at Duke Medical School. He said it like this. He said, a large volume of research. This isn't just kind of some Christian person trying to figure, you know, to do a little study that would then vindicate whatever that Jesus would say. This is a large volume of research that shows that people who are more religious or spiritual have better mental health and adapt more quickly to health problems compared to those who are less religious or spiritual. That's why this whole year we've been doing this, this series on make the most of what you've been given. Make the most of what you've been given. And that, that whole idea is to recognize the things that God has given you when you step across the line of faith and you become his child. God gives us things. First of all, God gives us himself. And so we, through, you know, God is then, um, in, you know, encourages us that we would make the most of our relationship with him. That we would leverage life to know him. That we, when we give our life to Christ, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is with us everywhere we go, no matter where we are. We should leverage that. He is through him, through all things were created, lives in us. We should make the most of that. We should make the most of him. We've been given the gift of prayer to talk to God. We should talk to God. We've been given the gift of eternal life. We should wake up every single day, right? And make the most of it and realize every single day that, man, we are invincible. If I die today, guess where I'm going? I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord and experience his love and the fullness of it forever. We should make the most of grace. We've, we've been given grace by God. His unconditional love to wake up every single day to remind ourselves we are loved. And then when we get together to remind us of these things, guess what happens? We grow healthier. We grow stronger. It makes a big difference in our lives. When we don't have that in our lives, then life is just really about, okay, trudging through a job that's hard, it's difficult, don't really like, in order to maybe go on a boat ride on the weekends and then repeat it and just keep doing it. Until we retire and maybe go play golf until we can't play golf anymore and then we just slowly die and then we die. Rather than coming together and around people to recognize that, yeah, work is hard and difficult, but guess what? 
We have a mission and purpose in the lives of the people that we do life with 40 plus hours every single week to love them, to pray for them, to encourage them. It's our place of mission. It's bigger than, than, uh, than what we do. Re- recognize that, you know, to be around other people and, and to recognize that, man, we're not alone. We can gain strength for each other. We can encourage each other to live this life to the fullest that help us with all these different areas in our lives that we find where we can get stuck. Mental health, depression, isolation, lack of meaning and purpose in our lives. But when we come together and we, you know, and we encourage each other and strengthen each other, it makes a world of difference. And another one here in Time Magazine, it said this, scientists have found again and again. And this isn't Christianity Today, this is Time Magazine. Scientists have found again and again that those with a spiritual practice or who follow religious beliefs tend to be happier than those who don't. Study after study has found that religious people tend to be less depressed and less anxious than non-believers, better able to handle the vicissitudes of life than non-believers. In fact, Robert Putnam, professor of public policy at Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, said it like this. He said, church friends produce happier, nicer people. Church acquaintances are supercharged friends. This is a guy who's a professor at Harvard, who over, who's a professor of public policy at Kennedy, of the Kennedy uh, School of, of Government, saying, studies show that people who go to church and have those relationships, man, they are, they are nicer people. Does that mean, does that mean, does it, you know, you know, does it mean that there isn't any curmudgeons or self-righteous people in the church? Man, absolutely there are. And it's all over TV that there is. But man, I'll tell you, in 20 years of ministry in different churches and stuff like that, you get all walks of life. There's no doubt about it. But let me tell you, in every church I've ever been in, the vast majority of people are nice, kind people who want to make a difference in the lives of other people because they've been changed by the love of God. Okay? And the professor at Harvard recognizes this. But here's the thing. And Robert Putnam struggles over this. In some of his writings, you see it. Is as a guy who is a professor of public policy at the Kennedy School of Government, how do you encourage the government to make policy to go to church? Well, it seems like the, the government, through the way that it is right now, it's like the government can't make policy to make people go to church. So, how do we work that out? Well, some of them would say, well, you know, the government should make people go to church. That would make everybody healthy. But we all know that when you're made to go to church, does that make you, is that better for you? No. It's when you make the choice that you want to be around other people who are seeking God, that you want to be at a place where you want to know the Lord. Now, let me tell you, in the first century, okay, in the first century, second century, third century, did the Roman emperors have a health policy that make everybody go to the Christian churches? No, they had a policy of kill all the Christians. And guess what? The church grew. You know why the church grew? It wasn't because of great lectures. It was people who were meeting in each other's homes that even though they were persecuted, they found great strength in their relationships with each other. 
And through those great strength of the relationship with each other, they would remind each other the promises, the eternal promises that they have in, in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but people started coming along and being part of this little community. You know why? Because this community, even though they were persecuted, they were nice people. They paid their taxes. They suffered with the, with the people who suffered in their community. They welcomed people from all different walks of life around, centered around this relationship with this, this new king, this benevolent king who gave up his life called King Jesus. And they began to grow because this community found its strength in its relationships with each other as they were informed by the scriptures and the understanding of the leadership of Jesus Christ and being led by Christ himself. But here's the thing. We all know that um, we all know that we live in an era where there's a lot of mental um, health issues. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of loneliness. And it's upticking. And it's growing in our culture. It's not decreasing. In fact, Gallup also did a poll recently in April and they found that, in, in the, they found that seventeen percent of U.S. adults and nearly a quarter of adults under thirty reported feeling a significant amount of loneliness the day before they took the survey, just kind of random, out of the blue. Okay, seventeen percent, you know, and then twenty-four percent of the younger generation. In fact, that's where the, the greatest fear is. In the past, what you used to see when it comes to loneliness and life satisfaction is a U-curve, right? When we're young, we're all idealists, we're all excited, the, the zeal of youth. And then we go through what's called a midlife crisis, right? We kind of go through that point. And then we kind of come out of that. The new reality over the last couple of decades is now this, this, this kind of going up. That the younger that people are, the more depressed, the more lonely they are than those who are older. And I believe it's not because once you get older that you get happier. I believe that we've created a culture of separation to such a degree that this new generation doesn't know about God, doesn't know about Christian community, doesn't even know about community, and are living through isolation and trying to struggle through life alone. And it's an epidemic. You know, Wall Street Journal just this uh, month did an article and the, the, the subtitle of the article is loneliness isn't just bad for your health, it is deadly. And this is what they said. People who report often feeling lonely or being socially isolated are an increased risk of death from any cause new research suggests. So we even see that even the way that we're made, that God knew that once we get isolated, we get isolated from him, we get isolated from, from Christian community, we get isolated from others, we begin to die. Amen. Because we were made to have this enriched, wonderful relationship with our God who created us and with one another. But it's an epidemic and one of the things you see all throughout, and you, you know, I've talked about it here, even here at River Run, is you look across over the last 20 years, guess what? Church attendance is going like this. And guess what? Our mental health is what is going 
This was even before the pandemic, okay? This wasn't just because of COVID. These trends were heading this way. It just, COVID was just kind of a catalyst for this, you know? And I've seen it over the years that slowly, people slowly been moving away from Christian community and, and older people, they've been blessed. They've been, you know, they, they grew up going to church and they had those relationships and they were making wise decisions, but they were slowly moving away from going to church. And getting life is busy. They're working hard. And so on the weekends, they're, they're going out and doing other things recreationally and, and the kids getting into sports. And so they're busy on those weeks. And then even though they may be a little bit more healthier because they have an experience some of that wisdom and understanding of God through church community, the next generation doesn't. There's a guy named, um, I think it was Stephen Johnson. He uh, wrote a fantastic book. And uh, one of the things he was talking about is that American culture is this, this idea that we've been living under this canopy, of this canopy of this Judeo-Christian understanding of how we relate to one another and how we care about one another. But that canopy... You know, that even people who weren't really following Christ enjoyed the wisdom of that canopy. In fact, uh, Tom Holland, who is not Spider-Man, but, a, um, but an English historian and writer wrote a fantastic book called The Dominion. And in that book, he just talked about how so much the blessings that we have in Western society come from, find their, their genesis in the in the in Jesus's movement, but what's happening with that that um, canopy is that canopy is has not been sustained. It has not been cared for, and it's beginning to become tattered. And actually, we're really at the cusp of time where this canopy is just flying off, and we're going back to the Roman Epicurean days with whatever feels right kind of deal, and it's killing us. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Well, first of all, you know, we come here to not just to attend, but to do life together, to get to know each other, to build those relationships with each other, get plugged into small groups where there's other people that are getting together in living rooms to talk about life, to, to find that encouragement and that strength and, and to gain wisdom together in that, you know? It is absolutely imperative that we would be the generation that would change these things, you know, that we would be a light to our community in the way that we love each other, the way that we encourage each other, and the way that we invite others into this church family. The next generation is at stake. Kevin DeYoung put it this way, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, meaning shoots himself in the foot, but he's had enough of being around Christian community and he's been around enough of scripture uh, around those things by which it has some positive influence in his life. But here's the deal. What he will end up doing is he'll shoot his, he'll shoot his children in the leg. Why? Because his children will never go to church and they have no reference point of what Christian community is about. And then lastly, shoots his grandchildren in the heart. What does that mean? That means when you start getting into the third generation, the third generation drives by this place here and goes, that's weird. That's where weird people are, you know? This church thing. Because I, you know, I hear about church in school and I hear about church when I watch TV. 
That's weird people stuff. I ain't going in there. And so what the world needs, the world needs people like us to find strength together to go out and go and love others the way that Christ has loved us. Because simply, honestly, the studies show that Jesus Christ has given humanity everything that we need. In fact, this week I saw uh, a woman who is, uh, she's a fellow at the Harvard uh, Institute of Policy at Stanford University, big high think tank. She's a Muslim. Well, she was a Muslim. And through that, just looking at just her understanding of her life and understanding what it means to grow up in Islam, to understand the geopolitical nuances and things of this world, she recognized that Jesus Christ was the, is the only one who's really ever figured this thing out. And so we have the opportunity to be those people by which we gain strength for each other and go and through that strength to go and love other people well and to invite people into our lives and invite people into this space so they too, their lives can be changed forever. That is what church is all about. That is why church is so, so important. It's not about the lectures. It's not about the programs. It's not about, you know, the events that we do. It's really about, you know, through these things that we do, that we build relationships with one another, that we find the strength that we need as Christ is the center of those relationships. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was um, just an incredible man who died in a, in a prison camp during World War II. And uh, he was really big on community and understanding this, how God really designed and really desired for community to happen um, as we gather together with, with our, you know, with our God as the center of our relationship. He said it like this. He said, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it is a brief, single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another through and in Jesus Christ. This week, I saw on Facebook, Pryor posted something where she was, she was at the park and she was kind of feeling heavy, just dealing with some really hard stuff. And so she kind of pops down. There's a guy who works for the city who comes up and, you know, so Pryor engages and says, hey, you know, the guy says, hey, are you, did you, are you here for, you know, are you the one who rented the pavilion? And Pryor goes, no, but, you know, I'll move once everybody kind of comes here. And so they start chatting and then they start sharing lives a little bit. And then, then Pryor starts sharing just some of the, the, the struggles that she's going with. And this, this wonderful Christian man that she doesn't even know just begins to encourage her through scripture begins to encourage her to remind her of the love of God, begins to just walk that heaviness in her life there at a park. That's Christian community. Two people just coming together and, and to remind each other of the beauty of God, to share a little bit of life together. Man, I tell you, that absolutely 
encouraged and strengthened Pryor when she left. Absolutely encouraged and strengthened that man who spent his lunch hour to do that and hang out with her and just to be there with her to encourage her is absolutely mind-boggling. It is, it is Christian community that we need to cultivate whether we are at the park and we connect with somebody there or here uh, or in a living room or wherever we are. I am so grateful, you know, that we live in a part of a church body that recognizes that beauty of connection that goes far beyond the four walls here. I love the fact, you know, I love the fact that uh, at Correct Craft, they create a culture of community to have Bible studies. To, so that way people who are dealing with stuff at work, and we all know that work can be very stressful, can be a place where people can go and encourage one another to remind each other of the big mission of God and to, and to use this place to, to know God, to do it together and to do something really cool. I love the fact of so many of y'all just take the initiative that when you see somebody look down or downcast in the lobby, you engage because you want to love them and, and, and be there with them. What an amazing way to find encouragement through that. That's the body of Christ. And we do that as a church, capital C. We do it here. We do it out in the community. We do it wherever we go. And when we leverage that, we become stronger. And when we become stronger, man, the light of Christ just begins to, to go outward by which a people living in a dark world can come and just experience the love of Jesus Christ through that encounter and that relationship with us. That is how we change this thing, y'all, in our culture. One person at a time, connecting with one person at a time to go and love and serve other people. We're going to take a moment where we will just kind of respond to this message. And it's all about community. This is the reason why we do prayer on the sides. You can pray there by yourself, and that's fine. You can do that. But we know through how much God loves community when he says when two or three are gathered together, he's with them. So the reason why we do this is because there's something they're strengthening about getting together with somebody else and just to pray and have them pray over you with whatever is going on in your life. It can be anything. That's why we do communion every single week, to commune. Commune means to come together with union, with, with our Christ, to remember that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we have eternal life. And we all partake together of the one body and the one blood together in community with one another. And we have our offerings as well as we come together as a church family to gather our offerings to the Lord, to place them before the Lord and to ask God that he would multiply it into the lives of other people. So Father, as we just take this time, I pray that your spirit would just not only just speak to our hearts individually, but you would just kind of speak to us in a way that would bring about just continued community together as a church body, Lord. So Father, as we do these things, I pray that we would just reflect and remember that we do this with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ together. We all need to be forgiven. We're all the same. We all have been forgiven through faith in your son, Jesus Christ. We all come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is a moment by which we share together as a family. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.